Hey everyone, it's Greg Campion here. Welcome to another episode of Intentional Wisdom. My guest today is Amir Hajizamani. Amir is a London-based, Cambridge-educated product management coach and consultant in the technology industry. As you'll hear, this conversation came about sort of serendipitously, and uh, it ended up being one that I'm actually really grateful to have had. Uh, Amir and I got a chance to speak about the concept of a personal manifesto, or an overarching document meant to capture who it is we're trying to be every day and to serve as sort of a true north in life. Both Amir and I have made attempts at producing such documents to govern our own lives. Uh, and in this conversation, we talk about why one might want to consider producing such a thing, how to actually do it, and what some of the benefits and challenges are that go along with having a so-called life document. This episode is brought to you by the Intentional Wisdom Newsletter. Would you like to receive one email every other week with a practical strategy to improve your career, your habits, your motivation, even your physical and mental health? Well, if so, make sure to subscribe to Intentional Wisdom, the newsletter. I would love for you to join this growing community of smart and curious readers. You can find the newsletter at gregcampion.substack.com or click the link in the show notes. And with that, here is my conversation with Amir Hajizamani. All right, Amir, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate oh, you joining great. me. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, such a delight. I am so psyched that this worked out. And uh, I think uh, we were trading some messages on Twitter about how this is sort of serendipitous, I guess, that this podcast came to be. So uh, I'll clue our listeners in a little bit just over the last week or so. So I think if I have this timeline correct, I think about a week ago, you put out a tweet into the world that said, hey, you know, I'm interested in being on more podcasts. Yes. These are some of the things that I'd like to talk about, et cetera. Um, and then about four days ago, uh, a mutual friend or acquaintance of ours, uh, connected us, uh, uh Natalie she, and she said, Hey, you know, Greg, you should really check out Amir's stuff. He, he would be an awesome guest on intentional wisdom. And I was like, okay, that sounds awesome. Uh, let me check out his stuff. And then, uh, as it kind of happens, I was supposed to interview Natalie on a podcast this week. She unfortunately was ill, had to cancel. And I said, uh, Amir, I really like your stuff, but can you do a podcast in about two or three days? And uh, here we are three days later recording. So love thank that. you for making yourself available. I love so that. Quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's interesting for, for that to happen right after I've been thinking so much about like giving myself the slack to jump on these opportunities. Uh, cause yeah. you know, like I had plans for today, but they were completely up to myself and I'm like, I've just met Greg, mm -hmm. I'd read your article, um, and saw some of the other guests that you'd be, you'd had on. And I was like, I'm not going to pass up the opportunity to have this conversation. So it's, yeah, it was, awesome. I love that serendipity and very grateful for, for Natalie to, to connecting us. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, okay. So. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a lot about personal manu manifestos and this idea of having like a life document that you intentionally set out and then try to try to live by it. So uh, we want to get into some detail there. I think, you know, this is something that you've uh, been implementing in your own life. It's something that, you know, I've been trying to implement a version of it in my life. But maybe before we get to all that, um, I'd just like to, for our listeners to kind of understand a little better of who you are and, and your background. So, so 
tell me a little bit about about your background and tell me a little bit about I guess ultimately what got you to the point where you felt that maybe you wanted or needed to um, you know write yourself a personal mm. manifesto. Yeah, I'm tempted to almost go backwards from the point of writing the manifesto. That came out of um, conversations in in therapy. Um, it wasn't something mm. that I intended to do or kind of had been thinking about. It just sort of happened that I needed mm. to put something down um, to help guide me. And kind of to go back into the past from that, um, yeah, I'd been... Uh, professionally, I'm a product manager. I'd been a software engineer. I worked with lots of teams. Looking back on it now, I feel like the reason why I became a product manager is because I wanted to make sure that I am able to bring some sense of meaning uh, to to the work mm. that my team was doing, and uh, also something that was missing for me as a software engineer. Kind of, and look, always looking for that. Mm. And can I just ask you for like the no, our non tech audience, like what what is the very basic high level? overview of what a product manager mm, well, that's a very does. good question because one of my hot takes is that product management isn't real <laughs> because <laughs> product management is about setting out the vision for for a product or for a piece of work you're doing mm. defining the roadmap um and everything from the vision down to like what are the features that you're doing and then also maybe the running the day-to-day -day mm -hmm. of um a team of engineers designers uh actually like implementing that stuff and guiding them on that journey yeah yeah so it's you know in some ways it's quite a quite a malleable leadership type role but it can be also very hands-on and yeah just to um give a little overview of the kind of background is that's my professional life going from um mm -hmm. a technical kind of engineering roles to product management roles to leadership roles and growing up, I was born in Iran. We moved with my family to the UK. I changed school several times. And then uh, when I went to university, they left me uh, in the UK. Um, so how old how old were you when you came uh, to the UK uh, from Iran? Would have been 12. Yeah. Would have been 12 with two okay. younger brothers. Okay. Coming from like a place where there was lots of family around, lots of... Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, you were, you were, I wasn't lacking for social kind of connection to then move yeah. somewhere where, you know, yeah, it was yeah. very much about nuclear family and, you know, obviously being in a new culture and so on. Well, what was the impetus for the move? What, what kind my of parents that? had been wanting to do that for many years, um, to give us as their kids, you know, more opportunities, like a lot of very standard reasons why middle-class families from the developing world might want to move to the West. Um, and mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. ways they kind of succeeded in that because I ended up going to like a prestigious university. I went to Cambridge and that's actually when they left. Um, so they had to go back. They were, they were obliged to go back. Um, and yeah, so I kind of very quickly lost, lost kind of my family support network and I had to grow up real fast. Um, mm. and yeah, so I think that was, that was quite a pivotal moment in me trying to navigate the world around me. Was that difficult to integrate into a, a totally different culture as a 12 year old kid? <laughs> it's funny. I, I have this uh, story of arriving in Heathrow airport as a, whatever I was, 12 years, 12 year old. And one of the first things I remember being fascinated by is going to, uh, one of the shops in the, in the supermarket and being fascinated by the number of flavors of crisps or, or chips. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Particularly the prawn cocktails. I'm like, prawn cocktails, what does that mean? <laughs> well, 
Our American audience still exactly. Doesn't I just realized that like the American yeah. audience was like, "What? What are prawn cocktails?" Uh, but yeah, that's I remember seeing this like pink, you know, um, pink package with with these crisps and their prawn cocktails. Yeah, yeah. That was a level at which I was starting at, like you know, that basic childhood level of like you're just yeah, fascinated yeah. by the very simple things. Mm. And it's only with mm. hindsight I can look back and say like, "Oh man, I really didn't speak to anyone properly for like six months," you know, like. Um, I was lucky to have my family around, to my brothers around, but like, you know, for example, my younger brother, he was out there playing with the kids, like learning, he's got a very strong, like local accent from when we moved to, but I have this accent, which I don't know what it is, <laughs> uh, the way he was talking with everyone, I was quiet reading books and like learning language. So that isolation, like only with hindsight, yeah. I can, I can see how it might've affected me. Uh, and then more so. Mm when my when my family sort of left and i became kind of had to like drag myself up real fast uh you know you're 18 but mm -hmm. you know you still have to have a lot of you sure it's good to rely on parents for a little bit longer i think <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay so that so uh kind of fast forward to i guess from being 12 and shocked to the system and and then kind of adapting to the culture and then Kind of how, how did that ultimately lead you to the place, I guess, where you sat down and, and needed yeah. to really think about identity and purpose and things like so that? So I was in my second year of university when um, I started doing anything that I can call like really introspection more. I ended mm -hmm. up taking a year out of university with depression. I was just in bed. Uh, so mm -hmm. that felt like mm -hmm. my first kind of deep dive into the... Was that something that was... Uh, ran in your family or I don't know you know like it's not something that uh talks about or even you know you could pinpoint as like oh yeah this person you know experienced this or that that's a pretty pivotal point though for you to be to have to take a year off from university things yeah and it was even tough. it was even sort of uh it was in hindsight that I took it off in that I was like you know I was I guess some people might call it high functioning and that like when I was out and doing mm. something like it was completely fine but actually the rest of the time I was in bed mm -hmm. reading um mm. and it wasn't if it wasn't for like the college nurse who I would occasionally go and see like you need to go and see someone mm. <laughs> I might not have ever realized that I was going through like a bad mental health period um mm. I guess related to the manifesto that's when I started going even deeper than I had already into, um, well, I, I was reading like about Sufism a lot at the time with another kind of, um, hindsight lens. I can think of it as me wanting to get back in touch with something ancestral, um, some sort of like, what does this all mean? Like, like I said, up to that point, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, like, okay, I'm going to study real hard. I'm going to like, please my parents going to get into Cambridge <laughs> and then when I'm there, like, I'm going to be like super smart and like do all this stuff and set up a company and spin that out out of the research that I do. And just none of that was really like, you know, that, that met reality, uh, th those plans. So yeah, the reading, the reading about stoicism and Sufism and Buddhism and stuff like that, that all started in that real depressed phase. That's interesting to me because I kind of think that everyone at some point encounters this uh kind of i don't know if you call it like an existential crisis but i i would think you your path is so kind of laid out and determined for you usually by your parents from a very early age right you know 
it's very structured, right? You have to do school, you have to do university, you have to get a job, you have to, you know, get on your own two feet financially. And I think it's very, very easy for people to, you know, get to the point where they're, you know, 25 or 35 or 45 and say like, okay, what the hell yeah. have I been doing? Why have I been doing this? Right. Um, so it sounds like maybe you were sort of having some of those types of. Yeah. I have, in point. some ways, like I'm really lucky that I had that as early as I did. Well, actually, and I can pinpoint it, you know, cause the, the moment when I was sort of told that like, I think, you know, you're, you're depressed, uh, was a few years mm -hmm. later than what I think was the nexus of it. And that was the moment when I got my acceptance letter for Cambridge through and my mum woke me up, but she'd already opened the letter. I could see that she was like happy. She'd mm. already read it. She was like, you've got a letter. And she handed me the, the letter and I read it and I was like, and instead of being happy about it, I just really mm. felt, oh my God, I wasn't doing any of this for me. I was doing this for her. She opened it. Right. Mm, wow. Um, yeah. and I can, wow. I'm. 90% sure that I can say that's the point at which like something broke for me. Um, yeah, so that, that's when something broke. So I was like two, three years of really dealing with this pain of like, oh my God, like my life wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And it just took that mm -hmm, one moment mm -hmm. of like, I was doing all of this for her. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah. kind of, yeah, as a, as a 30 something year old now, like I'm kind of glad that that happened then. For sure. All right, so let's talk about the the personal manifesto. And so, tell me about when when did you sit down to sort of put pen to paper and and what was kind of the impetus for doing that and and how, how did that all come about? So yeah, that came out of a, a suggestion um, from my therapist, and she sent me a couple of examples of people who who'd done things like this, uh, and she actually also sent mm -hmm. me something that was a more structured kind of um, life goals planning um, thing as well, which was actually very similar to what you've written about, about the year of meeting. Mm. Um, but mm. this is what sort of hit, like felt like what I needed to do. Um, and I honestly can't say I had a major process for doing it. I feel like I sat down and it just flowed out of me. And describe, describe for our listeners, just what, like what it, what it is, like what the, so the personal the... manifesto is, um, for what, what it is for me is a list of 23 items, um, and they're a combination of, um, affirmations, uh, values, uh, mantras even, um, that I actually read like, almost every day. Uh, and I can talk about the almost later <laughs> as well. Uh, I read this almost every day and it's sort of both a self accountability tool and a self compassion tool. And that like, if I'm doubting, like what what do I need to do to feel more aligned and in peace with myself? It helps me figure out like what might be missing. And also if I'm falling mm -hmm. short of it and not feeling great, it helps me figure out like, okay, maybe that's why. So, you know, um, like the phrase you used actually, Greg was, it gives me some grace on the days when I'm not feeling so, so good. It allows me some wiggle room for like, it's okay. You can get through today. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you mentioned it's 23 items. I don't know if there's any that you want to talk about in particular, but maybe I might pick a couple out to start that jumped out to me. Um, so one of one of them is you said, I practice gratitude daily and approach life with a sense of mm. abundance. Tell me about that one. Yeah, that's um, that's one that is a good example of I was observing what was already working 
in my life. Um, if I may go on a bit of a tangent for a story, like uh, the other thing, the other major thing that happened to me in my twenties was that I was working at a startup and we got acquired by, by Google. Um, and I spent a oh, year wow. there and I, you know, I left after a year, left a bunch of money on the table, <laughs> but that still gave me a, uh, like the little chunk of change that I did get mean that I basically got another chance to introspect and, um, explore myself mm. in different contexts. Yep. And what does that mean? Like, yeah, so I, that practically and... meant that I took like a whole year off. I did comedy, I did volunteering, I did traveling. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And that started like another whole journey of like practices of like, um, spiritual practices, you know, some of them a bit iffy, some of them a bit like, mm -hmm. you know, more mundane, <laughs> but you know, gratitude practice is something that comes up in so many different traditions. Right. So I'd, I'd already had this, uh, practice of like, I told my Google home device, like remind me at 9 PM every day to practice gratitude. Uh, so that I'd already been mm -hmm. doing this through the help of the technology for a few years. But what happened was I moved house one time and like something went wrong with the technology and I wasn't getting the reminder anymore. I noticed that I'd internalized it enough that I was doing it, not even just at that time, but at different times through the day. So when I, when it came to writing down my personal manifesto, one of the things that kind of flew out of me in terms of like, one of the times when I feel really good, uh, is like, oh, when I've actually done this pr gratitude practice and still felt like I wasn't doing it enough. I still don't feel like I, um, feel the abundant mindset as much as I would like to, but it's, oh my God, it's a world of difference compared mm -hmm. to like five, six years ago for me. Yeah. I, I like your example of using the Google, the kind of technology to help you with that. I think it's, so I, it, this, a gratitude practice is something that I am always trying to implement myself as well. Um, and I think it comes down to, I think tactically, I think you, you need just kind of a, a system in place that makes it extremely easy and accessible for you. So my system is I have a, a small notebook that sits on my desk and I try to put it on my keyboard. So I have to <laughs> deal with it when I start the day. Um, and, um, and my practice is just to write down three things. Yes. I think that's a pretty common uh, thing to do, but just to write down three things that you're grateful for. Um, and then the other thing that I've done from a gratitude perspective is uh, I, I meditate with uh, Headspace and they have a course called the appreciation course, which I've like absolutely worn <laughs> out at this stage because I think it's a 10 classes. I've probably done it at least 10 times. Um, and I just love it because it is just a meditation that is very focused on gratitude and appreciation and, and like visualizing in your head, you know, people and things that you are grateful for. And in my mind, it's like, like a lot of this, honestly, I think it's not rocket science, it, it, but to actually implement it, but it is, it is incredibly powerful just because it's just twisting your perception of things just enough to uh to to get you out of your own kind of monkey mind mm. of worrying about everything constantly and seeing the neg you know i feel like we're so instinctually set up to see the negative in everything if you it's almost like a little i hate the word hack but it is almost like a little hack to um to to get yourself to see the world yeah. a little bit differently i mean i i love headspace as well for that reason like that's what got me started on any any kind of mindfulness uh activities and it's interesting that, yeah, the, what you describe as like putting things kind of on, in your way so that you can, like, you'd be reminded to practice it. 
Like it's interesting how different mm. people kind of approach that differently. I think for me, um, this might go back to the rigidity question as well. Like, even if it's a structure that I'm imposing on myself, I know that I will rebel. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> you know, like the Google home kind of reminder, that's, that feels more like an invitation than an imposition for me. So it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'll, I do that. Oh, it's almost 9 PM. So I'll just do it now. Uh, or like, you know, oh, it told me to do it, but I'll do it in half an hour after I've had a shower. Ah, okay. I hadn't thought about that before, but I probably have some of that going yeah. on too. Uh, cause I am naturally not a, it's so funny actually, cause I've always thought of myself as not a rule follower and somebody who has a hard time with authority mm -hmm. and rules. Yet here I am establishing all these rules for myself. But maybe on some level, yeah. I want to break him. All right, we're we're getting too we're getting too introspective that. here, on Greg. We're gonna we gotta flip <laughs> this back to you. When I emailed you, I said, you know, is it gonna be all right if I ask you some questions? And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Okay, um, we may have just touched on this one, but mindfulness makes me resilient is another one that mm. you had on your manifesto. Anything? You yeah, want to talk about that's that? um, in some ways, there's not much more to say than than that. I think, um, yeah. I started practicing meditation and mindfulness at university very accidentally. Um, and that was just getting, helping me get through the days, you know, um, it was only when I started practicing it with a little more intention and regularity that I saw how it was affecting me, how I was building up, you know, how I was like compounding in its effect. Um, but I think the, the, the more crucial difference was bringing the thing that all the mindfulness teachers talk about, like bringing that mindfulness and presence to like everyday activities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 For, for me, it's, it's, it's about the, the biggest benefit I've noticed is this kind of idea of putting everything, putting your thoughts at arm's length from you. Right. And note it. And of course the idea of like noticing your, noticing your own thoughts. And I've noticed it uh, being really effective and impactful in uh, parenting. Mm. Uh, so I have three young children and I can tell you that, you know, as any parent knows, there are um, a constant stream of things that you could get angry with your children about and yell at them about or what have you. And uh, so the more, the more I got into meditating specifically with Headspace and, and making more of a practice with it, the more I would kind of notice my own, um, kind of notice my own emotions to say, oh, okay, there's, there's anger. Okay. What do I want to do with this? Do I want to just act on it and scream at my kid for whatever dumb thing they did? Or can I kind of take a beat here and separate myself from that emotion? But I, I like your idea of saying that that makes me more resilient because I think it does. I think in all situations in life, if you can have that kind of arm's length from whatever emotion is overwhelming you at that moment, that is like a superpower. And so that's got to be the very definition of resilience. Yeah, love that. So it's interesting that I've been fixated a little bit when I read this recently on the word resilient, because um, resilience, it's, I guess it feels like, why am I under, like, am I under like a barrage of things that I need to kind of protect myself from. And I guess in a way I am, um, but it's, I've got the document, I've got the private Google documents up that I have my personal manifesto in and I look at, that's another way I use it. 
is I comment on it. I have a good conversation with myself. Hmm. You know, when hmm. I read it, sometimes I'm like, that so, word. What the hell was this guy thinking when he wrote yeah, this? Yeah, exactly. So I've got comments from like <laughs> you know, years ago that I'm like, what's going on? And with resilient, I'm just yeah. saying that what would make me anti-fragile is what's something I wrote at one point. What would uh, make yeah. me expansive, yeah, yeah. compassionate, creative? Went through a Taleb phase. Yeah, I went through a Taleb phase. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's quite interesting because then, you know, this manifesto is in place, but, you know, I'm still able to have a conversation with it. It's not a... It's, an, it's, it's not just a life document, but it's a living document as well, like in that sense. I like that idea. Um, yeah, I like that idea a lot. And that's also what helps me not feel like hemmed in by it too much. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, I could see that, adding a little flexibility to it. Um, okay, um, let me ask you this. You have on there, you have, my purpose is to help others find and be who they need to be to find their answers. You know, it's kind of interesting because we, we can talk about the different, I guess, roads we took to get to having something down on paper. I think I started top down maybe and then kind of went down. But but you got there on this document with uh, having a purpose. So you've laid out a purpose here. Um, so tell me about that one. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? It was it was mm -hmm. when I when I was writing this, you know, just things were coming. Like I wasn't filtering them. I wasn't judging them. I was just like, let's write down what's coming. And it was really weird that this came because I was, you know, like, obviously, as you start doing something like this, one of the big questions is like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and then this pops out, <laughs> um, you know, because there's a few other things on there, like everyone deserves the opportunity to express their creativity. And I work towards spreading that opportunity to everyone. That's another thing that can be seen as like a purpose statement or mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, what else? Um, there's, a, there's only a few things in there that feel like they're touching on the outside world that much. And those are the, mm -hmm. those are two of them. And yeah. So that, so to me, that's interesting that the purpose, uh, the one or two that you identified as being, uh, maybe more purpose statements are tied to essentially service to others. And that's, that's kind of where I yeah, landed. Yeah. So, so I came about it from a different way. So I think your process was almost like, uh, almost like, let me just sit down and and, and see what comes out sort of thing, right? And let me just get writing and see what's what comes out and what's important to me. And it, it's the way you described it is it's almost sort of, uh, I'm almost imagining you like in a flow state sitting there and just this stuff just coming out of you because it's in some way, shape or form, it was all there and you had it there subconsciously and it just needed to be put down in a more formal way. Um, for me, I think I approached it maybe almost more like business-like and maybe that this is like, uh, you know, after 20 plus years and kind of a finance career, <laughs> like just, I need, okay, what's the strategy? What's the tactic? Right. Um, and so I started high level. Um, I started high level and, and this was, um, I've done kind of similar things, but I started at the beginning of this year, I said, okay, well, what, what do I really want to do this year? And and I said, I, I want to start from like the highest point possible. And so for me, that was purpose. Like, what's the purpose? What's my purpose? And I don't know if I had a formulaic way of coming about mm. that, um, but everything I was thinking of uh, just kept coming back to, I think it's, it's something that's bigger than me. I think it is. And I think, it, you know, every experience that I've had and 43 years on this planet have gotten me to the point of realizing that 
the most fulfilling things in life are in certain when you're in service to others mm-hmm. as opposed to individual pursuits. And so I started there and landed on basically service to others being my purpose. And I think more formally, I think I put it to use my skills and resources to positively impact the lives of others, right? And then and then from there, I was formulaic and I said, okay, well, what are the my desi- desired identities? So I don't know how much uh, James Clear you've yeah. read, but I think I stole this kind of idea of identity-based uh, habits from him where essentially you figure out who am I trying to be in these different parts of my life, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'm trying to be a great dad. I'm trying to be a great husband. I'm trying to be a great leader, um, you know, at work, those, those sort of things. And then, so it's for, so for me, it's sort of purpose, roles. Okay, what activities would someone who is doing all those roles well, what activities would they do? Third step. And then the fourth and final step is then what are my rules? And maybe this is too rigid. I don't no, know. But that I, really appeals to the product manager in me, right? Because that's how I would work. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to yeah, get a yeah, sense yeah, of like, what sense. is the business strategy? And then what capabilities do we have? Like, <laughs> and that kind of break it down into into those things. So I, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, maybe it's too rigid. I, I'm not sure, but, uh, but the idea of, I, I, I kind of like that idea of setting it up in mm, like an organized fashion like that. So they, so that the, the, the micro activities, uh, are consistent and supporting and proving every day the, the macro kind of purpose, mm. right? The purpose is to serve others. Here's how I'm, here's the roles I'm going to serve to do that. And then here's all the way down to the actual rules of like, okay, one of my, you know, one of my roles is to be an extremely fit man. Okay. That's what I'm aspiring to be. Um, So one of the things I don't want to do is drink excessively. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I have a, and so that's comes down to a rule of, I never drink more than three drinks. Uh, You know, that's the rule. That's how it's manifested. Well, it's funny because I have the same thing. Like I have the same results of, I don't drink that much. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know you said something like no more than three drinks at a time or I mean like, yes. That. Yeah. I'm like, I'll have, yeah. if I'm out socially, I will have one beer. Then I'm switching to an alcoholic maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the same idea that like I, the kind of person I want to be is someone who's actually there present, able to have understand and, and like absorb conversation and, you know. <laughs> And I know that I won't be able to do that if I've had more than, more than that many things, right? So yeah, I really love that kind of, what kind of person do you want to be today yeah. or this year or, you know, generally that's, that's another way I can really frame some of this is to be like, okay, yeah, these are all about the kind of person I want to be, except that some of them are less by design, that they're less by kind of yeah. upfront design and kind of looking into the future of what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Some of them more looking mm-hmm. back and being like, Oh, I've discovered that this is when I, when I'm this kind of person, I feel mm. at peace. I like that idea. I'm a little worried that mine are too prescriptive maybe, and are not offering enough of a, uh, enough flexibility, I guess. Um, I guess what I, what I kind of immediately think of is that you also have the, the difference is like, I'm at the moment, a, a single man living by myself. Um, you have mm-hmm. a family, mm-hmm. you said you have three kids. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, I think that like just on the surface level, just that would yeah. make a big difference as to how you'd mm-hmm. want to kind of position a life document for yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah. And some of the rule, some of the roles are like, okay, my role is mm-hmm. I am a husband. I want to do a good yeah. job at it. I am a dad. I want to do a good job at it. Those are like pretty fixed yes, things. Exactly. Right. The, so, um, 
Okay, let, let me ask you this. I, w- I want to take a little bit of a left turn here, and this this could be a total rabbit hole to go down, <laughs> but I'm going to bring it up anyway. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is uh, if you think about this conversation that we're, we've been having and we're talking about life documents or personal manifestos or whatever you want to call them. And by the way, manifesto is a very interesting word. I have it has a negative connotation for me. I think of like Karl Marx's <laughs> manifesto or I think of the Unabomber or something like that. But uh, it's really just kind of a public... Uh, or it doesn't even have to be a public uh, proclamation of, you know, kind of purpose mm. and, and what you're trying to do. Um, but anyways, what I want to ask you this. So a couple of generations ago, maybe even our parents' generations, mm. religion probably played a much, much bigger role in everyone's lives, right? Um, today, certainly people in our generation are 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 religious, but um, more and more the world has kind of become more and more secular, right? And I, you know, if you look at the stats on the number of people that are probably going to uh, church or synagogue or mosque on a on a weekly basis, I'm I'm sure it's just dropped off a cliff. So, what I wonder is, you know, you and I, <clears throat> and probably a lot of people like us, are you know, sitting in this world, or I, let me speak for myself, sitting in this world where maybe. Um, Maybe you know there's a void uh, to be filled because organized religion is less a part of your life, and maybe what you and I are trying to do is is you know set aside the kind of religious kind of stories and mythologies and all that kind of stuff for a second. But maybe what you and I are really trying to do is find our way back to the really good stuff in religion, which is purpose and meaning and morality and service to others and community. Um, and that's the other thing. In community, in community. So I don't know. What are your what yeah. are your thoughts on that? It's interesting. Whole it's, idea? Uh, it's almost always the Americans that say the thing about manifestos having a negative connotation. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was googling manifesto, and and uh, and one and according to Google, which is uh, you know uh, your former employer and uh, always source. correct source, uh, the Declaration of Independence was a manifesto. Right. So that's a yes. pretty good one, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think when I wrote it, just to kind of address that. Um, yeah, manifesto was, was a word that had like been around, like at one place I'd bring the private kind of workplace manifesto of like how I want to be at work. Uh, mm-hmm. and then this, this came up as well. And I really took it very literally like manifestos and, you know, you manifestos and you want to manifest something. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, but I did also kind of think of it as the political version of like, I don't know if you do that in the U S but in the UK, definitely political parties, like they put together a manifesto before general elections and they're basically mm-hmm. a series mm-hmm. of grandiose promises that they will never live up to. <laughs> right. So right. I, I think they don't use that word in the U.S. and it's probably because... Because uh, of the connotations. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but that's definitely the case here where, you know, like you read the Labour Party manifesto or the Conservative Party manifesto or whatever. Uh, and there are always things that like, as I guess, supposed to be directionally right. Except, you know, and that also actually gave me a bit of power that I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this as a set of ideals, but when it hits reality... It's my manifesto. I can change it. Mm. I can do whatever I want with it. I can give myself leeway as to whether I live up to it or not. Um, so I like kind of the directional nature of it, um, mm-hmm. but also kind mm-hmm. of the, the the power that it gave me when it's a personal thing, as opposed to mm-hmm. um, something that is going to affect uh, or is it or is uh, controlled by many other people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean the <clears throat> you know I, I mentioned kind of uh, when we were talking about goals before. Um, so, you know, I had, I had this sort of imposed goal of like, go to a good, good university, did that. Right. And then I had this goal of like, get a good job, did that. 
then I got, had this goal of like, you know, work for a startup, get acquired or kind of work at a big, big company. I, I did all that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, mm -hmm. in, in some ways, again, I was, I think I was quite lucky to be hitting various milestones like that, bam, 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 quite quickly and realizing mm -hmm. how empty that was in the end. Cause like what happens after mm -hmm. you meet your goal? So in some yeah. ways, like the manifesto is more about how I want to live rather than like why I want to live. Ah. Um, and actually the first item that was really there before I even knew about personal manifestos was number 12, which was playfulness, usefulness, and restfulness are the only three states of mind I want to inhabit. That had come to me a few months before I'd written anything down. And it was, you know, that's about it's at the states that I want to be in as opposed to the things that I want mm -hmm. to be doing. Mm hmm. Mm. Okay, so so one of the things I just wanted to ask you about was you kind of mentioned this up front, and we talked a little bit about giving yourself some grace and flexibility, but tell me about how you've actually tried to live by this document and maybe like what challenges that you've faced along the way. Mm. Okay, so the way I've ended up using it, this this was something that I decided up front that I am going to read this every day. And in fact, I'd been doing mm. that before I shared it publicly because it's very easy to write a document like this and share it and be like, look at me. I'm so like, you know, wise. <laughs> yes. I've got to figure it out. Yeah. I've got to figure it out. <laughs> uh, that's definitely not the case. So one thing was that I tried it out, um, by reading it every day for a few months before I shared it. Um, mm -hmm. and it was helping, you know, it was having that sort of centering grounding effect that I'd been hoping for. And it was interesting to watch different items on each day jump out at me as being relevant. Yeah. So, so I think that, that daily practice of, of kind of reading them every day is really important. Yeah. And I think it comes back to this idea of like making it obvious and accessible and right in front of you. Right. So that, uh, because I think it's sort of like we, we have these intentions of following these things, but life just gets in the way. So like, I think, you know, you may not it may not be a moment of enlightenment for you every day to necessarily read these, but as you said, like uh, one of them may stand out to you or who knows, even like subconsciously something's going on there and you're, you've just reminded yourself, Hey, this is how I kind of want to be. Um, my system is twofold. One is I have a whiteboard with all of my um, roles and activities and rules. And I look at it every day when I come in and out of my office. So it is right there, um, hard to avoid. And then, um, and then this is probably a little overboard, but I have this habits app, kind of similar to what you were talking about with your Google reminder, but I have this habits app that I look at every night at about nine o'clock and it's got the list of like probably 10 different behaviors that I was trying to do that day um, cool. or, that, or that I'm trying to do every day. So like one of them is like, did I do one nice thing for my wife? Amazing. Um, you know, did I do that? Yes or no? And like, so she's, it's kind of funny because she's like, well, are you just doing that to like tick a box? So I'm like, kind of, but does it matter? Yeah. It's a, it's a proxy. It's a proxy goal for the real goal. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah. And I guess in terms of what you're saying about, um, how do you practically do this? Like even the idea of like read your manifesto that had to turn into mm -hmm. like something more tangible. Right. So, um, I've got it as printouts in my kitchen by the, by the kettle. So when I'm making tea or making breakfast, that's when I have a chance to read mm -hmm. it. I also have it here. Oh, see, so you're full, you're fully British now with the kettle of oh, tea. Oh, well, yeah, you can't. Yeah. How do you guys make tea over there? <laughs> do you use like a stove? <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of tea. There's, there's, 
there's nowhere near as much tea. To be fair, I mean, I drink coffee more, most often, but you know, in the yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like the mornings. I'm not a morning person. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm rushing to get to my next meeting. So sometimes it's like yes. the afternoon where I'm having tea. But. <laughs> right, right. This is this is the this is America. We only do large buckets of drinks over here. So I've got my large iced coffee right oh, here. Amazing. The other thing I do is like, yeah, this is a Google document. So I have it as a shortcut on my, on my phone, which means that when I'm on the train going somewhere, sometimes some of these things pop into my head and I'm like, all right, I'm going to jot that down, like within context. Mm. So, um, and maybe it's my tech, tech background or whatever, but I love seeing the comments, you know, like and it captures mm. the history and, you know, like mm -hmm. the conversation I have with myself is very important. I've shared it with a few people. So a few other people mm. have commented on it as well. Um, mm -hmm. and that's been quite, quite fascinating to, to see. I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on sort of uh, restarting when you slip or mm. or or that sort of thing because I can tell you like uh, for me it seems to go in waves a little bit in terms of I've got everything uh, kind of laid out that I want to do I am nailing all my habits every day i am my app comes up i am hit, ticking all those boxes every night and then and then i get thrown off course yeah. right maybe i'll get sick or maybe you know just work gets insanely crazy for a couple of days and then like everything just slips all at once and i need almost like a reset to get me back onto everything yeah. any thoughts on that on yeah that this was definitely a discovery uh, process for me to be like, okay, how do I deal with when I'm not doing the practice that I set out? And mm -hmm. I remember it was maybe like two years ago <clears throat> when this happened of, I'd had a, like a pretty, pretty awful few weeks. So mm -hmm. I hadn't looked at it. And then I was feeling more and more guilt. I was feeling this weight of like, I'm not even looking at my manifesto. Like mm -hmm. what's, you know, mm -hmm. what's the point? Like I should just throw it out. And then when I did finally get up the energy or courage to like, look at it, you know, it was telling me what I needed to do, which was, you know, um, I approach others with curiosity rather than judgment, but what about myself? Like, um, mm. and now with like mm. the knowledge that I have or in some of the zeitgeist of like IFS internal family systems and kind of like seeing different parts of yourself as having different needs or, you know, trying to protect you from things or it's like, yeah, I can kind of approach these parts of myself that's feeling guilty with curiosity, like what's going on here and like learning from every failure. So if I've been failing for like two weeks to do something, what can I learn from it? And mm. what I came to was that, yeah, that's, those are the times when I probably needed more gentle, um, gentleness than kind of firmness. That's how I think of it. Um, it's okay that I didn't read them because in that moment I just needed to kind of come together. I need to kind of um protect myself in some way um so even when i'm not reading it even the days when i've not read it and avoided it that tells me something um mm -hmm. and then whatever that tells me whether like oh i just don't feel like i want the pressure or um i don't want to even look at a screen maybe that's what's going on that mm -hmm. you know sometimes transmutes in that in that kind of meditation way into okay now i'm actually ready to look at it Cause I just kind of accepted mm. that that's what's going mm -hmm. on. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's funny what you asked about kind of the, um, the, the kind of hole that we're flying, trying to fill is, as um, the, our generation, uh, in the place mm -hmm. of community and religion and so on. I published my 
personal manifesto on my blog, literally as I was about mm -hmm. to get on the train to go to a 10 day um, meditation center, um, to mm. go to a meditation center for 10 days of silence. And wow. that was amazing. Right. Cause I came back and I was like, well, I like the things that I'd written down, I just experienced. Um, cause you go and like sit and do meditation. And the point is like, you gain these insights, which is that change is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. <laughs> uh, mm. there's not that much that's different between you and other people. Um, and as part of it is the acceptance, like, you know, you sit with like a knot in your back and you observe it. And then you notice that after a while, maybe it goes away. Maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but then, you know, you just keep doing the practice, um, in that, in that scenario for hours and hours a day. Um, was that, um, I'm extremely curious about that. Like, I don't see a scenario in the next 10 years where I would be able to do something like that, but I'm extremely curious. Like, how, was that really difficult? Was it enjoyable? What was your kind of overall experience? There? For me, it was really good. It was, well, it's funny because even the concept of like seeing that as an enjoyable experience within the context of, you know, you're not supposed to be attached to, you know, the really good feelings or like the really immersive feelings, <laughs> oh, right? right, right. Well, yeah. Don't enjoy so, this so too much. Whole, Just accept yeah, it. Yeah, the whole process of like <laughs> doing this exercise when it's going well, quote unquote, mm. like you're feeling these amazing things in your body, you're feeling these tingling sensations, you know, like feel almost high, but you know, as mm. soon as you, you were like looking for that and trying to get that, like uh, then you lose yes. it, right? <laughs> right. You're kind of holding onto yes. it too tight. Exactly. It sounds like when I try to clear my brain when I'm doing headspace and, and no, nothing but my next tweets are coming in my brain. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and that, I mean, the practice itself was really good. I know that if I'd gone for such an experience, maybe even a year earlier, I would not have been surprised if I'd had a really bad time. I'd have maybe had to leave because I wasn't quite ready, like to, um, to face some of the more traumatic things that might be coming up. And I'd been in, I'd been in psychotherapy that had helped. And, you know, it's interesting to look back on the psychotherapy experience that I'd had during that mm -hmm, particular mm -hmm. period, where really what my therapist was teaching me was mindfulness, was the same idea of just like, let the thoughts come and go, like what we know from Headspace and the monkey mind, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but a little mm -hmm. bit more specific to my scenario or my kind of particular traumas that were coming up. Um, so yeah, I know that if I'd gone a year earlier, it would have been a disaster potentially, but the mm -hmm. time that mm -hmm. I went. Um, of course it's hard to like be with your own thoughts and not be even be able to write anything or read anything. All you can do is just yeah. go for walks, do chores okay. <laughs> and meditate. That's it. <laughs> um, on some level that sounds really it amazing. Is, yeah. Like, and I think that's yeah. the thing when I tell people about that experience, um, they either think, oh my God, that's horrendous. Or they're like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And I like really just trust the person to be like, if you think that sounds amazing, then go try it out. If you think it's horrendous, don't force yourself to. It's not, it's, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> uh, okay. Let me, let me take it back to, uh, personal manifestos here. Um, as we sort of start to wind up, um, so you, so going through this experience of, of putting something down on paper, of reviewing it on a regular basis, um, of trying to give yourself some grace when you don't review it. Um, what's that done for you? Like, how is it, how, or has it changed you? And if so, I guess, yeah. how? Yes. Changed me in unexpected ways. So, um, I started a process of slowly reviewing each of the items on this, uh, some months ago, 
And the reason why I did that was because I noticed myself feeling much more aligned with it. So these, I wrote these down as a combination of things that I'd noticed in myself, making me feel at peace and like, uh, like getting to, getting to more meaning and, uh, wholeness. But, you know, in the two, two years up to that point that I'd been practicing it, uh, I often felt that distance, you know, that I wasn't, you know, more often than not, I was not, uh, meeting the, the ideals that I, that I'd laid out, mm-hmm. but something mm-hmm. flipped, you know, like the early 2021. And I was like, oh man, I feel like, I feel like it's like, like I'm on easy mode now. Like, <laughs> mm. so there was almost like a sense of, I think I need to either update these or like take up the difficulty or something like that, which is maybe a perverse thing. This is the 101. I need to, I'm ready for 201. Yeah. yeah. So, right. um, so in the sense of feeling like I've internalized this maybe somehow, uh, for mm. better or worse, and maybe mm. what's the next thing? Um, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, I think if you pr- are practicing be- these behaviors again and again and, and trying to live up to these standards, uh, I think it's encouraging that some of them yeah. might become really deeply ingrained at some point, and maybe there are less effort required to live up yeah, to Yeah, and it's that transition that I think we talked about um, by, uh, by email of moving from a place of like practicing vulnerability and courage, which it feels more internal to me, to now being in a phase of like audacity and expression, which is what we're doing right now mm-hmm. and having those conversations. Yes. On the podcast. Well, which was what you were manifesting out into the world with your tweet that you wanted Apparently, to be on yeah. more <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that's a, that's your audacity right there. Yeah. Right? And as the, you know, it's interesting to be, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be authentically audacious, not like bombastic, yes. yeah. but it's like, well, yeah, I struggle with that too, because I feel like, um, on the one hand you're like, uh, you know, I feel like I've got an important message that I want to help get out there. On the other hand, uh, is it, it can can feel wrong to be too self promotional, yes. right? So uh, I think there's a fine balance to be struck. Yeah, there. I, I totally get that. Um, okay, so let me just ask you. Um, let me just ask you if you think about if someone were to be you know thinking about writing their own personal manifesto, would you have any advice on where to start, or would you just sit down and with a piece of paper and see what comes out? Yeah, I would say just sit down and try it. I think this leads to just this uh, sort of bigger realization that I've had that I'm still trying to put into practice of anything that feels like it's hard, turn it into a game. Like just, you know, the stepping back and being like, well, how can I make this a game? Feels like the, the trick that seems to work like 99.9% of the time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this, this is, I think what happened with me writing a personal manifesto as well, that, you know, I had a few weeks of like, oh my God, I've got to do all my research and do this. And like, what are the other alternatives? But then I just sat down and wrote it and was like, let's see what my brain starts to spew out. Um, and not even my brain, it was like my body, my heart, like, you know, everything was flowing out. And just let it do its thing, um, turning into a game where there aren't that, that many big consequences, or if there are consequences, just see them for what they are, which is that they're temporary, they will change. So yeah, you can try it. You can try it like writing down the first two things and see what comes. Um, and if that doesn't feel good, you know, try again the next day or try something completely different. Talk to a friend about it. Um, like having a conversation is often the way that I kind of end up articulating some of these things, including that the initial germ of the playfulness, um, usefulness, restfulness thing that came out of a conversation, planted the seed, and then it grew out into mm-hmm. this thing. 
Um, mm, I like that yeah. idea. I like that idea. I, I, I like to just, just sort of, you know, take some action and, and see what happens rather than trying to get stuck planning or thinking, um, you know, too much about what's the right way to approach this. Just try something and then maybe iterate from there. Um, okay. Last question for you, Amir. And this is kind of my standard question, uh, not to put too much pressure on you here cause it's kind of a big one, but, uh, but, uh, if you think about, um, you know, what you've learned in your 30 some odd years of life to date, um, you know, I'm curious if there's one thing that you've, that you've learned that's really impacted your life that you think maybe, uh, others have not fully figured out yet. And it can be totally related to what we've talked about or totally unrelated to what we've talked about, whatever you want to go with. Oh boy. Oh man. I feel like then I, uh, I preempted that with the, you know, if it's, if it seems hard, turn it into a game. That's the the big one. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Like, how can you turn it into a game? Like, I think like that question, how can this be more playful? Um, is the question that helps me a lot. And it's something that I really need to practice a lot more, but it's, you know, when it comes to recently, like I went through a really dark period of, you know, for my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I was asking this question of myself, but it took a while for me to figure out the answer. And I got there. Mm. I, I sort of ended up even like turning, asking for support into a bit of a game, like a, ser- a kind of a very serious game, but it became a game in the sense that I could try a bunch of different things that, you know, failure wasn't the end of the end of the road. Like it wasn't actually game over. Like there was lots more, I had a lot more lives to play with. <laughs> um, that each time I, I failed, I would learn something from it. You know, you try and mm-hmm, look, complete mm-hmm. this level in a game and it's like, oh, I, I jumped in the, in the pit. Okay. Like now I know where that pit is. <laughs> um, so even the very serious things like, um, trying to see how you can turn them into a game with the properties of you can try again that it's mm-hmm. not the end of the world, um, that you're not alone. Um, there are other people playing the game as well. Um, and that it doesn't necessarily have to mean some great, big, important thing, you know, like just because something happened and it didn't go as you planned, it doesn't have to mean something like final about you, about me. Um, yeah. so I think those are some of the properties of like finding the way to turn something into a game that, that I think are helpful for me. I love that. I think that's a great philosophy and a great way to think about things. I think it's a, it's almost trying to take a little bit of a lighter touch to life. Uh, I think one of the themes of this conversation maybe has been ways to kind of give yourself some grace and to, and to be okay with not living up to your own expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like your idea of turning it into more of a game. And, and I love your idea that, you know, uh, failing at the game is not, it's not fatal, right? It's a, it's a learning, um, experience. Um, so yeah, that's, hmm, that might be one of the best ones so far, Amir. I don't know. <laughs> well, please, like, if anyone listens to this, please tell me this, remind me of this myself. Cause I really need to hear it myself. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what all of my content is, is re- self reminders, yeah, exactly. uh, podcast, newsletter. It's all just trying to remind myself how to behave in the future. Um, well, listen, Amir, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and having such a, um, a really open and honest, uh, conversation with me about this. I think it's something that, you know, you think about, you know, it's pretty heady stuff to talk about, right? Like, uh, you know, what's my purpose in life and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's pretty deep stuff, but 
Um, I think hopefully we've added a little bit of value to people's lives today in this conversation, or at least given them some ideas on how they may want to think about it and, and approach it. Um, my last, last question for you is if people want to keep up with you, you know, you mentioned um, you do some writing, you do some coaching, um, all that kind of stuff. Where can people find you or follow you? Yeah, if you follow me on uh, Amir HHZ, that's A-M-I-R-H-H-Z on Twitter, um, you can find all my, all my links via there. I'm uh, working as a product coach and consultant. So if people who are like either product managers or product leaders in particularly smaller to medium-sized environments or founders that's that's my jam um mm-hmm, i love mm-hmm. to bring some of these ideas into into that work context as well and yeah that's that's about all i uh, feel like needs to be plugged i just want to have this conversation right. with people and this is exactly how uh this came about as well i'm really grateful for it i love it i love it um okay i'm gonna link to your twitter handle and i'm gonna link to uh, your manifesto as well. If people want to go check out that, uh, that'll all be in the Brilliant. show notes, but, uh, Amir, this is awesome. Thank you. Especially on such short notice. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you give me a lot to think about. Yeah. So, um, thank you so I much. Love it. Thank you so much. Hey everyone. It's Greg again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Amir and, uh, took a few things away from it that you can implement in your own life. In the show notes on whichever platform you're listening on, you can find links to Amir's manifesto along with my quote unquote life document, which I published in the form of an article earlier this year titled The Year of Meaning. So check that out. Uh, Also, if you're not already subscribed, please remember to check out Intentional Wisdom, the newsletter. It's one email every other Thursday with the best of what I'm learning from thoughtful people just like Amir. Finally, finally, please do leave a rating and review for the Intentional Wisdom Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm serious about this. Please do it. There's only eight ratings. Come on, let's do this. Leave me a rating. Let's do it. Seriously. It really does help spread the word and uh, help me find more amazing people just like you. So please do it. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time.